0: The Free Methodist Way, Life-Giving Holiness God's call to holiness was never meant to be a burden, but a gift that liberates us for life that is truly life by delivering us from the destructive power of sin. All who are born again are made right with God by the finished work of Jesus Christ and called to experience the fullness of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Forgiven and filled, we approach life with confidence that we are acceptable to God even as He continues to transform our character and behavior to become more and more like Jesus. Life-giving holiness, then, is the fruit of full surrender to the loving reign of God over every aspect of our lives, establishing within us love that is truly love, Leaving behind the legalism that once hindered our movement, the Free Methodist Way invites every believer to embrace the transforming work of the Holy Spirit that empowers us to love and serve God and others in joyful obedience. Life-giving Holiness Bishop Linda Adams After a communion service at New Hope Church in Rochester, New York, a spunky six-year-old girl made a beeline for the kitchen. As the leftover communion cups were being emptied, she asked to drink some of the juice. Given the go ahead, she exclaimed, I need all the holiness I can get. Her novel idea that a few ounces of grape juice would boost her holiness may not be much more of a misunderstanding than some adults' ideas. Expressing her need in the language of holiness makes her seem like an old fashioned Free Methodist, since we don't often use the term anymore. The doctrine of entire sanctification was a hill the first free Methodists were willing to die on. Benjamin Titus, B.T. Roberts, our principal founder, embodied John Wesley's desire to recover New Testament Christianity, surmised by the mandate to rise up a holy people. Free Methodists determined to be holy, like John and Charles Wesley, from whose theology and hymns they gained much of their inspiration— Early free Methodists were sometimes misunderstood, mocked, and maligned for their insistence that God both expects and empowers an all-encompassing holiness in the life of the believer. The free Methodist way begins with life-giving holiness, because to our forebears, a radical transformation of heart and mind resulting in fully loving God and neighbor was considered the birthright of the child of God. For us, as a movement, to abandon holiness as a defining value would be as foolish as Esau throwing away his birthright for a bowl of stew. God wants 21st century free Methodists to believe in and experience the Holy Spirit's presence that makes us more like Jesus from the inside out. To be made holy brings freedom and life. This is our message. The letter kills. At the outset, we need to admit that those of us who have been in this denominational family for many years have at times seen a pursuit of holiness that was not life-giving. If we picture the highway of holiness winding through varied terrain with generations of free Methodists traveling along it, describing it and teaching others about it, we'll notice some veering off to the ditch of legalism. Other movements have steered off course into the opposite ditch of either license or liberalism, but that hasn't been our error. Following John Wesley's Rules for Christian Conduct and adding a rule against buying, selling, or holding of a human being as a slave, the first free Methodists adopted rules for holy living. Definition brings clarity and objectivity. They reasoned, so sinful actions and attitudes were forbidden and behaviors of holy living were defined and required. For instance, the rules forbade the use of tobacco, opiates, and alcohol, worldly amusements, membership in oath-bound lodges, and profane language and evil speaking. They required plain dress, business integrity, and careful observance of the Lord's day, in addition to classical expressions of Christian devotion, such as attendance at worship, prayer, scripture reading, and tithing. Relational accountability structures were created to aid new believers and seasoned saints alike in living the life of holiness as defined in these terms. One of the problems with a rules-based approach is that rules and prohibitions multiply. As with the Pharisees in Jesus' day, principled motivations get lost in the proliferation of laws. As an example from our past, I enjoy reading historical accounts of 19th century female preachers. One pioneering evangelist's personal account told tales of courageous witness in taverns and brothels, resulting in dramatic conversions, but then delved into her agony over the rule against decorative collars and buttons on women's blouses. She so longed to be holy, to surrender fully to the Lord, to consecrate her whole self to God's work, but she struggled mightily with guilt over wishing she didn't have to alter her blouses to make them plain." Eventually, we incorporated a balancing scriptural truth. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of a letter, of, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. 2 Corinthians 3.6 Jesus's sacrificial death and resurrection brought salvation by grace through faith. As Paul proclaimed in Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And from his letter to the Galatians, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Over the course of several decades, we have tried to reorient our path out of the ditch of legalism to aim for the gracious center of the highway of holiness. The Spirit gives life. The Constitution in our 2019 Book of Discipline declares this article of religion. Paragraph 119. Sanctification is that saving work of God beginning with the new life in Christ, whereby the Holy Spirit renews His people after the likeness of God, changing them through crisis and process from one degree of glory to another and conforming them to the image of Christ. As believers surrender to God in faith and die to self through full consecration, the Holy Spirit fills them with love and purifies them from sin This sanctifying relationship with God remedies the divided mind, redirects the heart to God, and empowers believers to please and serve God in their daily lives. Thus, God sets his people free to love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love their neighbor as themselves. Notice that sanctification, that is, being made holy, is part of the saving work of God. This gracious action of God begins with new life in Christ as the Holy Spirit works in the life of the believer to make us more like God through both crisis and process. In other words, free Methodists have officially stopped fighting the either-or battle between instantaneous or gradual transformation into the image of Christ. We affirm the both and of a life surrender to God, dead to self through full consecration, and filled with the Holy Spirit, a lifelong relationship that normally involves crisis opportunities for accelerated growth along the way. Saints, the Bible's term for all who are made holy in Christ, can attest to moments of conviction of sin, repentance, and surrender to God's refining work, some can testify to dramatic and instantaneous deliverance from harmful addictions, sinful attitudes, or self-centered orientation. In a moment, they sense the power of God cleansing and filling them, and they were forever changed. For some, crisis experiences are like the starter's gun in the marathon of life in the Holy Spirit. For others, the journey of faith may be less punctuated with highs and lows, but it is marked by steady progress and growth in grace. Notice the fruit of the life of holiness described in this article of religion. We are filled with love and purified from sin. God remedies the divided mind, redirects the heart, and empowers believers to please and serve God in their daily lives. Sanctified people are set free to love God with our entire being and to love our neighbors as ourselves. How life-giving! The New Testament expresses the evidence of the Spirit's presence both in terms of fruit— Galatians 5:22 and 23 and gifts, 1 Corinthians 12:7 through11. We affirm the reality and necessity of both and long for our churches to be alive to the Spirit so that both are clearly evident. As experienced in the book of Acts and taught throughout the New Testament, God's spirit has been poured out so that believers can experience His supernatural presence. Spirit-filled believers receive power for worship, witness, proclamation, prayer, and service, sometimes accompanied by miracles. Both the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit are given to manifest the glory of God. Grace for the whole journey. Wesleyan theology has been called an optimistic theology. Why? Because we believe in the possibilities of grace to radically change human hearts and lives this side of the grave. God has designed and provided for every step of the transforming journey as the Holy Spirit interacts with people of free will, graciously leading us along the path until we see God face to face. We affirm John Wesley's Ordo salutis, or Way of Salvation. Wesley taught that God first works in all people through prevenient grace, preparing hearts to open to God. God's convicting grace makes us aware of our sin and willing to accept God's remedy. Justifying grace puts us into saving relationship with God through faith in the finished work of Christ. We are converted and assured that we are God's beloved child. John Wesley said of the next phase in the outworking of God's grace, sanctifying grace, it is perhaps for this reason that God has raised up the Methodist. God not only desires to make us holy, but accomplishes holiness in us as we respond. The evidence of this holiness is pervasive love. Finally, through glorifying grace, at the moment of death, God transforms us into immortality and we are taken up into the life of God. One night, many years ago, I sat on a rooftop with a Calvinist friend and tussled over theology until the sun came up. I'll never forget his astonishment that I do not share his conviction that we sin every day in thought, word, and deed, and are condemned to repeat that until the day we die. He couldn't fathom the depths of grace that we Wesleyans experience and proclaim. The term entire sanctification particularly tripped him up. Many others have stumbled over that phrase, a bedrock of Wesleyan and free Methodist theology. My friend and I paged through our Bibles and painted contrasting pictures of the possibilities of holiness in the life of the believer. Here are a few of the many scriptures on which our beliefs are based. See chapter 3, The Christian's Journey, in the Book of Discipline, particularly paragraph 3108, Sanctification, for more of our biblical foundation. 1 Corinthians one 15 to 15-16, quoting three occurrences in Leviticus, But just as he who called you is holy... So be holy in all you do, for it is written, "Be holy, because I am holy first thessalonians five twenty three to twenty four May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do this hebrews twelve fourteen Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Words like entire and perfecting may sound like a claim of immunity from sin or flaws, Wesley and Roberts often clarified that the reality to be experienced is pure motives from a loving heart. Human beings never outgrow the possibility of giving in to temptation or exercising errors in judgment. But a life centered in the God who is love can radiate love, which is the essence of holiness. No holiness, but social holiness. The horizontal dimension of this love extends not only to family and friends, people we often refer to as loved ones, but to all. Jesus explained, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew five forty three to 48 The Greek word used for perfect in this passage carries the meaning of complete and mature. Our love should not be exclusive, lacking completeness. God invites us to his own limitless love. This is the perfect love that casts out fear. John Wesley famously wrote in his 1739 preface to Hymns and Sacred Poems, Holy Solitaris. It is a phrase no more consistent with the gospel than holy adulterers. The gospel of Christ knows of no religion but social, no holiness but social holiness. Faith working by love is the length and breadth and depth and height of Christian perfection. Our love is meaningless if not expressed in kindness, mutual care for one another's souls and bodies, and acts of compassion for the poor, the suffering, the marginalized, and others for whom Christ died. The context of Wesley's statement here primarily refers to the fact that the spiritual journey is a communal path, Our growth in grace is greatly enhanced by social dimensions. As we worship together, pray with one another, confess to each other, and forgive one another, we experience faith working by love. The witness of his life, however, shows his commitment extending to societal issues such as abolitionism and community transformation at the outworking of holiness. A Theology to Sing About Charles Wesley's hymns have been used throughout our history to help us not only understand but deepen our experience of life-giving holiness of God. I will close with one of those hymns. Some truths go beyond expression in words alone. The words need to soar with beautiful music. Excellent love like this captures us up in wonder, love, and praise. Love divine, all loves excelling, joy of heaven to earth come down, Fix in us thy humble dwelling, all thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, thou art all compassion, pure unbounded love thou art. Visit us with thy salvation, enter every trembling heart. Breathe, O breathe, thy loving spirit, into every troubled breast. Let us all in thy inherit, let us find that second rest. Take away the love of sinning, Alpha and Omega B, End of faith, as its beginning, set our hearts at liberty. Come, Almighty, to deliver. Let us all thy life receive. Suddenly return, and never, nevermore thy temples leave. Thee we would be always blessing. Serve thee as thy hosts above. Pray and praise thee without ceasing. Glory in thy perfect love. Finish then thy new creation. Pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation, perfectly restored in thee. Changed from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. Discussion. The Well of Living Water. Part 1. What is holiness? 1 Peter 1, 13-17. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, Let's begin with this question for discussion. What does it mean to be set apart to God? Write down responses from your small group here. Life-giving holiness is the first of five values from the Free Methodist Way. These values are not merely statements with which we might agree, but rather a way for us to live. With that in mind, let's consider how we might live as holy people, set apart to God in all we do and say. Having read about life-giving holiness by Bishop Linda Adams, ponder and discuss these questions. Have you ever felt like that six-year-old who said, I need all the holiness I can get? Why? What do you run to believing that it will make you more holy, more like Jesus? Bishop Linda points out our doctrine of entire sanctification. Is this term new to you? Whether on your own or in a group, grab your smartphone or computer and look up these three words and write down their definitions. Doctrine, entire, sanctification, or also sanctity, sanctus, sanctified. Now, write a longhand expanded version of doctrine of entire sanctification using the definitions, write it here. How does this definition change, enhance, or clarify any thoughts you've had concerning holiness? Consider Bishop Linda's words, radical, transformation, heart, mind, love, experience, Holy Spirit's presence, freedom, life. Which word or words impact you most and why? The legacy we've been handed as free Methodist is that holiness was considered the birthright of the child of God. What is a birthright, and how do you connect this to scriptural holiness? Let's pray. Lord, we want to be holy as you are holy. We pray that you would teach us as we look into your word, guide us into truth, and change us. We simply and humbly declare that we do not want to be people marked by sin and the ways of the world. We want your holy ways to be our ways teach us your ways in the name of Jesus we pray amen discussion part 2 an outside in approach for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law romans 3:28 in part 1 we discussed what it means to be holy as god is holy now we will look at the law and why it is not effective in bringing about holiness in our lives. Question 1. What is the difference between rules and a rules-based approach? Name some rules we all live by every day. Name some rules that are helpful and create a way of life for us all that provide life-giving boundaries. Question 2. Consider Bishop Linda's statement. One of the problems with a rules-based approach is that rules and prohibitions multiply. Talk about ways you've seen rules and prohibitions multiply in our society. Why do rules give way to more rules? Number three, why do you think people are enticed to break rules? Number four, go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Read Genesis two fifteen to 17. God sets forth one rule, a don't do this statement. What is it? What goes wrong? And why do you think things went so wrong so fast? Number five. All rules begin with a reason in mind. Here's a classic example. Are you allowed to be noisy and disruptive in a library? Have you ever been asked to leave a library because you were noisy? Can you envision in your mind a librarian with their finger over their mouth sounding an indignant shh? Number six. Why? Why? Why is that rule in place? Number seven, what becomes of a library when it is a noisy environment? Number eight, when we forget the reason for a rule, simply obeying it, quote, because, it becomes legalism. What rules exist in your church that you're not sure why those rules are in place? Number nine, Bishop Linda describes legalism as a ditch. Do you agree why or why not? A rules based approach to holiness is an outside in approach. Praise God that there is an alternative. In fact, His design has always been an inside out approach. In our next session, we'll drink from a well of living water. Let's pray. Lord God, help us to forsake legalism. We know that rules are helpful in their place, but in the end, you and you alone give life. We want that life, that living water. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Discussion Part 3, An Inside-Out Approach Having discussed what holiness is and the ineffectiveness of legalism as a poor substitute for true holiness, we now turn to some words from the Free Methodist Articles of Religion and encouragement Bishop Linda Adams shared in her writing Refer back to page 28 and 29. The Spirit gives life and the grace for the whole journey. Crisis and process. What is that? Number one, did you catch those two words, crisis and process? What could these two words possibly have to do with holiness? Take a moment and discuss it with your group. What is the connection? Number two, let's take time to examine four moments of crisis that happened in the scriptures. Look up each passage and describe in your own words what the crisis moment is and what changed in the lives of the people who encountered God. Moses meets God, Exodus 3 verses 1 through 20. Isaiah sees God, Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 7. Zacchaeus meets Jesus in Luke chapter 19 verses 1 through 10. Paul encounters Jesus in Acts chapter 9 verses 1 through 9. Number three, no doubt these are extraordinary examples of spiritual crisis moments. How does that apply to us today? Can you identify a moment in your life that can only be described as a spiritual crisis? How did you emerge from that moment changed by the transforming power of the Spirit? As we consider the idea of process, let's hear more from Bishop Linda Be on the lookout for further descriptions of crises that lead to holiness, as well as the process of holiness. Highlight or underline key words and phrases that jump out to you. First, which words or phrases did you note as meaningful or enlightening? Talk about why they caught your attention. What did they say to you, or how did they expand your understanding of holiness? Secondly, what questions arose as you read— Is there anything you'd like further clarification on? Talk about those things. Here are three key points to explore together as a group. Optimistic theology for the whole journey of your life. Bishop Linda points out that we believe in the possibilities of grace to radically change human hearts and lives this side of the grave. How well acquainted are you with the possibilities of sin and temptation? What would it be like to lean into the optimism of knowing the possibilities of grace and holiness? Sanctifying grace accomplishes holiness in us as we respond. Do you tend to share the opinion of some that when your errors surface, you say, God made me that way? Did he? Really? What if his purpose is to do a work of grace from the inside out that changes you completely? In an all-things-new kind of way, what role do our responses to God play in this? Center on God, who is love. We've learned in the previous study that a rules-based approach to holiness doesn't work. Part of the reason is that we focus on compliance and know that we will slip up at some point. It leaves us feeling inadequate and a disappointment to God. How do things change when we focus on God? Do you tend to see God's judgment or love, help or expectations, demands or encouragement? How does holiness become a thing of joy as we focus on the love, help, and encouragement of God? Holiness happens in burning bush moments like that of Moses, and it happens in the day-to-day journey of life, the monumental and the mundane, using everything in our lives to make us more into the image of Christ. Because of the potential in the power of God and our response of dying to ourselves so he can do a work in us from the inside out, holiness is entirely possible. Let's pray. Lord God, we bow before you and thank you for calling us to be holy. We ask that you use both moments of crisis and process to make us holy as you are holy. We will do our part dying to self. Help us to know more and more what that means. We invite you to speak to us, guide us, and lead us. Reveal to us our roadblocks to surrender and bring us into the full reality of the potential found in your grace. We pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Discussion Part 4, An Inside-Out Approach Let's begin with this story from Scripture. John Chapter 4, verse 4. Verses 1 to 14. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. If you knew. This story may be new to you, or you may have read it hundreds of times. Regardless of your familiarity with the story, The most amazing statement is made by Jesus in the middle of his conversation with this woman at the well. Remembering that we're talking about holiness, a reality that may seem distant or unattainable to you, put yourself in the place of the woman and hear Jesus say, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew the gift of God, is living a holy life a matter of your own ability to pull it off? How would you respond if Jesus were here in person with you right now and said to you, If you knew the gift of God, what would you say to Him? And who? Have you ever been in the presence of someone great and did not know it? How did your actions, words, and or mannerisms change once you knew? Do you know that Jesus can impart holiness to To you? Do you question his ability? Why or why not? A spring of living water welling up to eternal life. For whose benefit is holiness? Yours alone or for someone else too? How does holiness help everyone in my sphere of influence? These questions are taken from No Holiness But Social Holiness and A Theology to Sing About on pages 30 and 31. What does it mean that God's holy love, imparted to you, has a horizontal dimension? 2. Bishop Linda says our love is meaningless if not expressed. Name and discuss outward expressions of holiness. Who are they for, and how do they impact those people? 3. Social holiness is a term from John Wesley that some have conflated today to mean the world's definition of social justice. Holiness will certainly embody biblical justice, but many people who do not know Jesus engage in acts of social justice every day. How is holiness different? 4. Have you heard the term social holiness before? Have you interpreted it? How would you describe it? 5. Read 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 to 5. How are holy people supposed to fight against injustice? In closing, as we conclude this series of four studies, take a moment to reflect on how you've been challenged or encouraged. Number one, what has been your biggest aha moment? Two, what questions remain that you'd like to have more conversations about? And third, what will you do with what you've learned? Let's pray. Lord God, we see you for who you are and acknowledge that you are more powerful than temptation and sin. We are grateful for your love that wants the very best for us and offers us living water so that not only will we be satisfied, but can share your life-giving holiness with others who are thirsty. We pray that our lives would become living, breathing, walking wells of your holiness to the benefit of all who are in our spheres of influence. For your glory alone, Lord Jesus, and in your holy name. Amen.